Good morning, and welcome to the Neighborhood Church live stream. My name is Jen Ashby. I'm on the staff here, and this morning it's my privilege to look at God's word with you. But before I do that, I need to let you know about a couple of things. Trudy, Kathy, Luz, and I were scheduled to travel to Envision Paris next month on a mission trip. And unfortunately, that trip has been postponed indefinitely. Thank you to all of you who gave towards that trip. I do have some good news. The travel agency is reimbursing all of that plane ticket money back to the church. And Envision is going to hold our money for a future trip. So we're praying that we're going to be able to reschedule. We were looking forward to connecting with a number of people in Paris, including Dan and Lisa Lawrence. Dan was also scheduled to be the speaker at next month's district youth retreat, but unfortunately that has been canceled as well. We have a brief video for you from Dan and Lisa. They just recorded this yesterday in Paris, so let's watch this together. Hi, everybody. Um, we're the Lawrences. I'm Dan. And Lisa. We're international workers with Alliance Missions in Paris, France, and we're calling you today from our apartment, um, which we're stuck in. (laughs) So as you know, France has been in lockdown for almost a week now. We started on Tuesday, but we're doing very well. We're safe. We have plenty of food and toilet paper, and our boys are entertaining themselves with lots of dance parties and games and online school. (laughs) Thank you so much for your prayers and your reaching out to us by text messages, emails. It's really great to know that we have people looking out for us. Yeah, and thank you guys so much for your continued partnership and encouragement with us. Um, We were really looking forward to a team from uh, Neighborhood Church there in Durwood, Maryland, coming over and and partnering with us in a missions trip this April. But, you know, in these times, we just kind of uh, prayed and talked about it, and everyone came to the same conclusion that this isn't a good time for this. And so we're postponing that trip, but looking forward to what it might be and look like in the future. And as some of you know, um, it was talked about, publicized. I was supposed to come back to speak at DYR, a district youth retreat for the Mid-Atlantic District. And um, that's not going to be able to happen either, as we're needing to cancel that. So I'm bummed. I was really looking forward to it. Um, But God will have us together again at some other time. It is a huge disappointment that we're not going to be able to see you guys in person in the next little bit. But we know that this is what is best. God's in it. He's in control of the situation. And the outcome will be whatever he wants it to be whenever that day does come. And guys, I just want to encourage you. I know the world feels kind of flipped upside down right now. This is affecting every country on the globe, it seems. I believe God's up to something. It's sometimes hard for us to understand what it is, but... Major movements in our church history have come out of conflict and crisis. I believe right where you're at right now today, God is opening doors. And he wants you to listen, trust, and obey him. So lean in the God and see what he's up to and how he wants to use you in this season. We covet your prayers. We thank you for those who've been praying already. And we're praying for you. God's in this. And we love you guys. Let's take just a minute to pray for Dan and Lisa and for our missionaries serving all over the globe. God, we do lift up Dan and Lisa, Adley and Ellis this morning. We lift up as well all of our missionaries serving all around the world. God, I'm just reminded that for many of our missionaries, a state of unrest or stress or danger is not a new thing. It seems new to us, but it is not new for many of our workers, and especially those who serve in creative access countries. 
So God, we pray for all of our workers today that you would meet with them, that you would encourage them, that you would protect them, that you would provide for them what they need, and that you would empower them for effective kingdom ministry in their places, whatever that looks like in these days. And may our own experience under these conditions keep us mindful of our missionaries, not just now, but later as well, uh, when this pandemic begins to ease a bit. God, we pray as well for students all across our district who, like Dan, are bummed that DYR is canceled. Students who are grieving the loss of that plan and lots of other plans as well. We pray for our students that you would meet them, encourage them, remind them that you are at work in their lives, even without that event. And God, as we turn our attention now to your word, we ask that you would open our eyes to what you want us to see and stir in our hearts that we might respond in the ways you want us to respond. We pray all these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Both of my parents were nearsighted. Both of my siblings are nearsighted. So for me, it was really just a matter of time. I got my first glasses when I was eight years old. I got my first contacts when I was 16 years old. And just two or three years ago, I went to my current lens situation. Now, if you've never been to an optometrist, this is a picture of part of what that appointment is like. My current situation is that my right contact lens helps me see things that are up close and my left contact lens helps me see things that are far away. Now, the optometrist warned me when I went to this arrangement that it was going to take a while for my brain to learn to use the lenses. And he was right. It took months. My brain had to learn when to default to my right eye and when to default to my left eye. But I'm happy to say that now, after the adjustment and the learning curve, most of the time, I see most things pretty clearly. My field of vision makes sense. We're in the midst of a series through the book of Romans called Making Sense of the Gospel. And today we're in Romans chapter 7, where we're going to learn about some lenses that help us make sense of some really important things. And just like my contacts, this learning is not instant. There is a learning curve. Our brains are going to have to adjust. But once we learn to use the lenses, things are going to be more clear. Life is going to be easier to navigate. So the big idea today is learn to use the lenses. And I'm going to put the verses on the screen. And if you are on our distribution list, then earlier this morning, I think you received an email with the notes for today's message. On the Bible timeline, the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul in the era that we call missions. It's important to know, as we look at this chapter, that Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have said yes to Jesus, placed their faith in Jesus. Remember, The last time I preached, we talked about how all of us are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. God is madly in love with us long before we know anything about Jesus and whether or not we ever say yes to him. Every one of us is amazing and the object of God's affection. What is also true is that every one of us come into this world utterly spoiled by sin completely without hope, without God's radical intervention. 
Last week, Pastor Mark preached from Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So people who say yes to Jesus, place their faith in him, cross over this bridge from sin and death over to life. Paul is writing here to people who've crossed over that bridge. And everything he's going to say applies to them because of that. And it also applies to us if we too have crossed over that bridge. If you missed last week's message, then I encourage you to check that out. You could cross the bridge today right where you are. So the first lens we're talking about today is the lens of status. At the end of chapter 6, Paul has used the metaphor of slave status or free status. We were slaves to sin, and now we are not. Now at the beginning of Romans chapter 7, Paul is going to use the metaphor of marital status. We were married to sin, and now we are not. That status, like a lens, is going to show us something. Status shows us our obligations so that we can belong to Jesus. Let's start in verse 1 through verse 6. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law... That the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she marries another while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law. And is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were controlled by our sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now... By dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, in marriage, you have a legal obligation to your spouse. And in a good marriage, a healthy marriage, you have much more than a legal obligation. You are committed to them in virtually every way with time, with attention, with finances, with the way you make decisions, with your very body. But when one of the parties in the marriage dies, you're no longer held to that obligation or commitment. Paul is saying here in Romans 7 that we were married to sin. That was our status. We were obligated to sin, committed to sin, bound to sin. We had no choice but to sin. But when we said yes to Jesus, when we put our faith in him, when we crossed that bridge, one of the parties in that marriage died. Verses 2 to 3 seem to imply that sin died. Verses 4 to 6 say that we died. The point is the same. Either way, someone in the marriage died, and so our status is changed to 
no longer married to sin, which means we're no longer obligated to sin, no longer bound to sin. We don't have to sin anymore. In the same way that we were freed from slavery to sin so we can become slaves to righteousness, we are released from marriage to sin so that we can, verse 4, belong to another, belong to Jesus. In this metaphor, be married to Jesus. Now, when we use the metaphor of marriage to talk about being married to sin, it makes marriage sound a little negative, but... When we use the metaphor of marriage to talk about being married to Jesus, it is really, really positive. Listen to what Pastor Tim Keller has to say about this in his work, Romans 1 to 7, for you. In a good marriage, your whole life is affected and changed by the wishes and desires of the person you love. You get pleasure from giving pleasure. You seek to discover the wishes of your beloved and are happy to make changes in accord with those wishes. Think about that. If our whole lives were affected and changed by the way we're thinking about the wishes and desires of Jesus, if we were looking for ways to make a change in accordance with his wishes, that's a good obligation. That's a good marriage. We are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. We are either on one side of the bridge or the other. Pastor Mark said last week, you can't hang out on the bridge. We are either married to sin or we are married to Jesus. Let's make our marriage to Jesus a good one. Learn to use the lenses. The first lens is status. Status shows us our obligation so that we can belong to Christ. The second lens is scripture. Scripture shows us what sin is so that we can recognize sin in ourselves. Let's keep going here. In verse 7 through 13. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So then the law is holy And the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. 
the lens of scripture shows us what sin is so that we can see sin in ourselves. The lens of scripture shows us what sin is by defining sin for us. Verse seven, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. Scripture or the commandment can also provoke sin in us. That's another word from Keller, provoke. Let's look at verse eight. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Wait a minute. The commandment produced the coveting? Coveting or jealousy is a sin. What's going on here? Any of you who have children or teens or have worked with children or teens are going to completely follow what I'm about to say. Sometimes telling a child what not to do is exactly what makes them want to do it. The commandment provokes sin. When I was a child from time to time, my mother would say to me, don't look in our closet. This usually had something to do with presents. Now, before she said, don't look in our closet, I wasn't thinking about the closet. I had no interest in the closet. I wasn't tempted to look in the closet. And as soon as she said, don't look in the closet, I was drawn to that closet like a magnet. So tempted. And I may have looked once or twice. How many of us as children or as teens or even as adults... I've been given a command and have responded, don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. Just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when God said, do not eat from that tree, (laughs) there's something in us that rebels because we want to be the boss. We want to be God. Scripture tells us that we are not. And that is how Scripture provokes sin in us. Scripture doesn't just tell us that sin is out there. Scripture also reveals sin in here. When Paul says in verse 9, once I was alive apart from the law, it seems to mean something like this. Once I thought the law was about external stuff, Like the Ten Commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery. So I was good with it. I felt like I was in the limits. I felt fine. I felt alive. But then I came to understand the full dimensions of the law as Jesus taught. For example, Jesus said, it's just as sinful to be angry with someone than it is to murder someone. It's just as sinful to lust as it is to commit adultery. And I began to realize how guilty I was inside, how dead in sin I was. I don't think that we will necessarily feel convicted every time that we read scripture, but if you're reading scripture pretty regularly and you never feel convicted of sin, then I think perhaps that's something to ask the Lord about. Or maybe even to talk to a trusted Christian friend about. If the Apostle Paul himself was still being convicted of sin at this point in his Christian life, it's probably something that we should expect. 
And remember, this is not about condemnation or shame. Conviction leads to repentance, which leads to life. And that's another message for another day. So learn to use the lenses. The first lens is status. Status shows us our obligations so that we can belong to Christ. The second lens is scripture. Scripture shows us what sin is so that we can recognize sin in ourselves. And the third lens, yes, I know we do not have third eyes. Just go with it, okay? Just go with it. The third lens is struggle. Struggle shows us our sinful nature so that we choose the spirit-filled life. Let's keep going in verse 14 through 25. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law at sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. If you relate to this passage at all, you are not alone because we all relate. We all have this struggle. Even Paul had this struggle. And the lens of struggle shows us that even though we're no longer slaves to sin, even though we're no longer married to sin, our sinful nature is still with us. Sin isn't just out there. It is in here. And that sinful nature doesn't want to do what the other parts of me want to do. I see this in my own life when I look at my journals. One day I am journaling, thank you God for being at work in my life. I can tell that slowly you are making me more like Jesus. And I am responding to challenges with so much more grace and patience and forbearance and self-control. The next day, I am journaling, God, this happened, and I lost it. I snapped. I totally let this thing get the worst of me. It's two steps forward and one step back, and two steps forward and one step back, and sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back. Now, earlier in this series, Pastor Mark 
preached for several weeks, mostly on a problem. And then I got to preach on the solution. And today I feel like the roles are reversed because I'm preaching on the problem. And next, Pastor Mark will preach on the solution. Now I'm saying solution, but I don't mean that this struggle will ever be completely resolved in this life. But I do believe it can get better. Because in Romans chapter 7, Paul is describing what happens when we wrestle with our sinful nature in our own natural strength. And in Romans 8, he's going to talk about a spirit-filled life. So in Romans 7, 14 to 25, there are zero references to the Holy Spirit. But coming up in Romans 8, 1 to 17... There are about to be a bunch of references to the Holy Spirit. And that passage is characterized by a whole lot more victory. So, if you needed any more evidence that trying to manage your sinful nature in your own flesh doesn't really work, the end of Romans 7 is for you. But if you're already convinced of that, get excited because Romans 8 is coming We're talking about making sense of the gospel. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that when you make sense of the gospel, you actually make sense of a lot of other things as well. Yourself, your thoughts, your actions, your life. Learning to use these lenses shows us what we need to see And what we need to do. Our status shows us our obligations so we can belong to Christ. Scripture shows us what sin is so we can see sin in ourselves. And struggle shows us our sinful nature so that we can choose something else. A spirit-filled life. Thanks be to God who always sees everything through all the right lenses. Thanks be to God, who knew us and loved us when we were his enemies, still slaves to sin, still married to sin, and sent his son Jesus to make our rescue possible across that bridge from sin and death to life. Thanks be to God, who didn't just set up the bridge and walked away, but who woos us and draws us And shows us the path across the bridge. And thanks be to God who when we say yes to him. Infuses us with his Holy Spirit. Making us spiritually alive. And is at work in us to make us more and more victorious. God is literally the source of everything good. He is literally the fount of every blessing. Let's worship him.